Hi there, and welcome to the Crypto Frontier. I'm Jonathan Miller, Managing Director of Kraken Australia, and I'm glad you could join me out here on the Crypto Frontier. On this show, you'll hear from the industry's best and brightest about the latest news in crypto markets and industry from Australia and around the world. Tune in fortnightly to gather the latest insights and data to power your trading. Whether you haven't yet bought your first Bitcoin or want to better understand the latest DeFi token, this show will explore the latest in market data trends and go behind the scenes to explore the technology that powers the future of finance. Now for some of the latest news in crypto brought to you by Kraken Intelligence. According to MasterCard's new payment index, a survey of close to 16,000 consumers across 18 markets, millennials are primed to jump into the industry. The report found that 77% of millennials are interested in learning more about crypto, and 75% of millennials agree that they'd be using crypto if they understood better. The report also found that the COVID-19 pandemic has galvanised people to try flexible new payment options to get what they want when they want it with over 90% of MasterCard customers considering using a form of emerging payments technology. In some more adoption news, Soothbees will accept BTC and ETH payments starting with the next week's auction of Love is in the Air by Banksy, which is estimated to sell for 3 to $5 million. They're obviously jumping on to the back of the extreme interest in NFT sales and the use of crypto to buy art. Okay, that's all the news today. For more insight, make sure you subscribe to the Kraken Intelligence newsletter at kraken.com. Now for my guest on today's show, it's a pleasure to introduce you to Rob Allen, who sits on the Hedera Hashgraph Governing Council. Rob, welcome to the show. Uh, I'd love if you could introduce yourself uh, to our audience, and, and then I'll ask you a couple of questions about Hedera. Hey, Jonathan, thank you for having me. Uh, so I'm Rob Allen. I'm the entrepreneur in residence at FPOS Australia. Um, I also sit on the governing council for Hedera Hashgraph. Um, I guess I'm an engineer, a technologist. Um, I've been building payment systems and startups for a long time now. Um, yeah, and I'm here to talk to you about uh, Hedera Hashgraph. Excellent. So, I, I mean, jumping straight into Hedera then, um, can you tell me, you know, who founded it? Sure. So, uh, well, first I'll say I don't speak for Hedera. I'm not employed by them, um, but we have been building projects with them for um, for a while. So, um, and having um, been sitting on the, the governing council now for um, five months, um, I'm, I'm pretty well versed in, in some of the history. The, um, the Hedera Hashgraph network was the, was founded by a couple of guys in America called uh, Dr. Lehman Baird and Mans Harmon. Um, Lehman is a professor, um, deep computer scientist um, and inventor. Uh, Mans Harmon um, used to be a war games, head of war games for the US Air Force and um, both Lehman and Mans have been working together for, for a number of years um, and founded a couple of startups as well since um, since they both left uh, the Air Force. So um, they're the founders. Lehman invented Hedera Hashgraph um, back in 2012, 2013, I think. He, he was looking at the same sorts of problems that blockchains were seeking to solve, but from first principles. 
and, um, and came up with a hash graph um, algorithm, which um, is what the Hedera network is, is based upon. That's really interesting. I, I, I'd like to get into a little bit more about, um, about the layers of Hedera because there are, there are, you know, there are several, but, um, at a really high level, you know, I guess people who are listening to this show, they're probably, probably exposed to a bunch of the different cryptocurrencies and, and it's kind of nice to know in relation to, you know, the ones that they do know, the obvious ones, you know, what, what is different about Hedera? Cause that's kind of a nice way to, to, to explore these ideas sometimes. Sure. So, um, well, from the from the the crypto angle, the, um, the the native token of the Hedera network is called the HBAR, HBAR, and the network's proof of stake. So, staking these tokens um, creates the both both utility and security on the network. Um, it's a public network, um, and. The, the layers of technology that sit above the, the Hashgraph uh, consensus algorithm itself um, are all open source. Um, at this stage, the nodes are, are hosted by the governing council members. And so one of the key innovations for Hedera was to build an enterprise-grade um, public distributed ledger network um, that would not be forked, that would not be... Um, compromised through um, civil attacks or um, other, other forms of other attack vectors that um, some of these networks are um, um, undermined by because uh, Hedera have laid out a vision for a, a hundred year company on which enterprises, both big and small across the world, uh, can build on this, this trust layer. And um, with that vision in mind, um, there's a, there's a very slow and, and controlled um, process of decentralization. So from the governing council hosted nodes, just as, as we're bootstrapping the network, um, through the distribution of the HBARs to um, enable um, you know, wide enough distribution to ensure the security of the network, because under proof of stake, one stakes tokens to, to nodes. And so you don't want any one bad actor to, to you know, accumulate enough of those tokens too early to be able to um, uh, take over the network. So this is quite a, um, a deliberately slow and controlled process of decentralization, but ultimately um, the whole network will be decentralized. It will have, you know, anybody will be able to um, host nodes and benefit from the you know, net network fees and staking rewards and everything else that goes with a, a fully decentralized network. Okay, so it, 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 there's a kind of pathway there to come to, I guess, um, uh, distributed parity with some of the networks that already exist. But what are the? Can you tell me a little bit about the structure of Hedera? So um, you've you've mentioned the word consensus layer. So so tell me about the other layers and and, and how they interact. Hmm. Yeah. So um, the consensus um, mechanism, the algorithm. Um, that sits at the heart of um, of this network is is the thing that you know, enables the network to be distributed and come to um, you know, a consensus across the um, the, the whole network, uh, like like any other distributed ledger technology or, or blockchain. Um, what what it exposes on top of that are two key services. 
one which is called the Hedera Consensus Service and one which is called the Hedera Token Service. Now, these are relatively new um, services that are, you, know, you can interact with uh, via APIs. And the consensus service is just that. It's like having um, a blockchain API. You, you never really need to stand up a, a blockchain ever again because you can get all the benefits of that um, just directly via the API. The token service is only released about a month ago, six weeks ago. And that enables you to, to, um, to create and, and manage um, both fungible and non-fungible tokens on the network natively. And that's really important because um, other networks that have, let's say, smart contract-based um, ways of um, tokenizing and um, creating true ownership over digital assets um, are bound by things like you know, gas fees or um, um, solidity, smart contract instructional cycles and, and um, inherent kind of slow, slow, slowness rather in that, um, in that design pattern. Whereas with Hedera, um, there's a network that has, um, is fast. I mean, it's, it's throttled back at the moment, but it's, um, it, it operates at 10,000 transactions a second, up to 100,000 uh, transactions a second. Um, and that's before sharding. So sharding can effectively make this, this network um, scale to whatever it needs to be in the future. Um, it's inherently secure. So you've got um, the gold standard of security, which is uh, asynchronous Byzantine fault tolerance. Um, because we don't have chains of blocks, we every single event, every single transaction is um, fairly ordered against, against the others. So um, on a blockchain, you've effectively got um, sequencing or ordering on a block-by-block -block basis. And then the miner um, determines what, what order the transactions go inside that block. With, with Hedera, every single event is, um, is ordered and um, transparently and verifiably ordered um, fairly. And then finally, it's the stability of the network. When you've got... Um, the inability to fork that network um, because there are um, controls, technical controls and legal controls around uh, forking of that, uh, that network. Um, and the pricing of the network is, is um, pegged to US dollars. So um, a transaction costs one hundredth of a US cent. Um, it's paid for by HBAR, it's paid for in the token, but it's at the current value of that token in, in US dollars. So. Um, what that means is that businesses can build um, applications, distributed applications, um, enterprise platforms, and use this network um, and be able to forecast and plan for what um, those costs might be, um, which you can't do on other networks that are very volatile and have um, big swings in, um, in gas fees and um, the value of the, um, the, the cryptocurrency. So... Um, those are the, 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 the things that um, Hedera has solved for at that base layer. And then they expose the ability for applications to be built on top of those um, beneficial properties of the network um, via the consensus service and the token service APIs. And then there are, then there are all sorts of, you know, uh, there's open source um, demo code that you can pick up and um, build your business with. It's, um, 
there's repos and repos of that stuff, which is great. That's really, that's really fascinating. I think the, uh, in particular, the, uh, the fixed price per transaction in a, in a dollar format is, is, is definitely, uh, you know, unique. Um, how do they achieve that? Is that is there an oracle used here? Yeah, yeah. I think they're using ten different exchanges globally uh, that gets updated on an hourly basis. So um, the, the pricing is um, it's, it's not real time yet, but it's you know fairly close to to that. Okay, so we've got a, a pretty um, like a, an established consensus layer and some quite new services. Um, but my assumption here is that there's been a bit of playing around by some of the uh, either governing council members or other people beforehand. Can you tell me a little bit about some of the um, the projects that um, that might be using this or planning to use this? Yeah, so I mean, let, let me just say a couple of things about the governing council first. Um, one of the um, the key innovations that um, that Hedera determined um, really early was that. Um, other networks have had challenges through governance, whether it be you know a, um, a group of developers somewhere, or it might be you know cult of personality type driven uh, network, or you know or, or something else. Um, because Hedera is very much focused on business, like I say, great and small. Um, the governance was determined to be around that kind of. Um, Enterprise um, governing processes that um, that enterprises you know find familiar, and so um, the governing council is is thirty nine members strong, um, or will be ultimately. There's nothing special about that number; it's just a odd number around forty. Um, and the governance, the, the governing council, um, is by design decentralized. So it, there's no concentration or in the financial sector, for example. There's no concentration in you know, for Silicon Valley tech companies. There's, there's no. Um, it, it's decentralized across sectors, across geographies, across time zones, um, and through time as well, because there are only three-year cycles um, that you can renew only once. So maximum of six years that any of those gov- governing council members can sit on that governing council. Remember, this is designed as a as a hundred year company, as as a, effectively a new trust layer for the internet, and therefore that stability, that um, c- continuity of oversight and governance, is really really important. And this has attracted some of the world's biggest companies. So I can't list them all off the top of my head, but you know you've got Google, IBM, FIS, um, Shinan Bank in South Korea. You've got um, UCL, University College London, FPOS, ourselves. Um, there's Standard Bank in, in um, South Africa, um, Tata and Wipro, Boeing, um, Zane Group in the Middle East. So, you know, there's some, there's some pretty big um, and not necessarily Fortune you know, 50 type companies. There are some of those as well, but um, regionally significant and sector significant um, companies. Got two big legal companies, Dentons and DLA Piper, which are two of the biggest uh, legal companies in the world. Um, Avery Dennison, one of the biggest logistics companies in, in the US. Magaloo, which is um, one of the biggest retailers in, in South America. So, as you can see, there, there's some you know um, significant businesses in there who are not only partnering but owning 
Um, being a governing council member requires you to have done all the due diligence, you know, get your risk officer and your um, general counsel across the fact that um, you're actually start you're, you're buying into the ownership of a um, a, a crypto driven um, next generation network, which for some is is you know quite difficult. Um, so that governing council is um, is in place to host those networks. So host the nodes. The FPOS will be or is hosting the first node in Australia. And there are mainnet nodes and there are mirror net nodes. And I can go into that later if you want. But um, there's a kind of a, um, um, a secondary network for, um, for um, persisting data. And, um, and all of these governing council members um, are committed to building on the network in various ways. So a couple that have become, have become uh, very public recently uh, DLA Piper has built a, um, a, a tokenization platform called Toco um, that is um, tokenizing art and real estate and now obviously getting into NFTs because they're so hot right now. Um, so they're, they're doing that and, and that looks like it's um, going um, really well. Avery Dennison have um, just come out with a... Um, a, um, a, a token-based platform as well in the US, which is being um, um, well-reviewed um, by, by loads of startups that are building their own to token services on, on top of it. There's one called Suku, which is um, tokenizing um, collectible sneakers, um, turning them into NFTs. There's some, um, some great supply chain um, uh, examples of building on that network as well via, via Avery Dennison's um, platform. Um, and then FPOS, we've been um, looking at payments, of course, because that's our core business, but also identity. So digital identity is a, uh, one of the things I'm, I'm primarily focused on. And so um, applications of um, the Hedera network for micropayments, um, Internet of Things-based um, subsent payments, when you've got when you've got a, a transactional cost of a hundredth of a cent, you can do some really interesting things um, around um, micropayments and device to device transfers. Um, and when you couple that with digital identity and self-sovereign um, identity applications, uh, verifiable credentials, um, decentralized identifiers, then you've got um, a mix of components where you can you can build some really um, compelling and um, interesting new business models. It 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 sounds like the sky's the limit. What well, one thing that I guess the community, uh, you know, when it comes to Hedera, I think they're used to fully open source platforms from day day zero. Um, is it fair to say that you know one of the reasons uh, Hedera went down this path of let's call it kind of picking or 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 limiting the the number of uh, nodes to known actors via the governing council w was that so they could win over enterprise and 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 if so will the rest of the world start participating well yes i i, I think so i mean there's a number of questions in there the the thinking remember it cast your mind back to 2015 2016 it it, it seemed like every week there was a new bitcoin fork you know, there was, there was um, another project, another splinter group that would um, um, fork 
Bitcoin and, and, and we don't see it quite so often now. It's certainly not as, as public. But um, that was the time around which you know, Hedera was kind of forming as Swirls, which is the, um, the, the, the company that, um, that Manson Lehman set up to, to develop this technology. And the, the governance um, aspect and the, um, the, the patenting of the, the, the base layer um, algorithm was really to prevent that. You know, the, the, um, the hypothesis, which I, I believe to be true, is that um, enterprises won't build on top of a network which from one day to the next, you don't know whether it's going to be forked or not, whether any value you've created on it will be transferred to a different chain or a different network. And that's not so bad from a store of value perspective. And we've seen in Bitcoin and, and, and others to be particularly resilient to this kind of um, forking o- over time. But from, a, the, the, from attracting businesses to a network where um, not only are they kind of placing bets on on decentralization, which is you know it, it's seeking to to solve in the same way as, as other blockchain networks are, but um, it's hard to do change in big corporate organisations. It's obviously um, not just for corporates; it's for startups as well. And I've got a long list of um, startups I can talk you through if you want about um, the, the, the huge variety of businesses that are building on, on Hedera. But at, at the corporate end of the, the, the spectrum, you need stability. So stability in, in, in that um, surety that um, the network isn't going to fork. Um, you can convince the board, you can convince the risk officers, you can convince your customers that um, you're, um, you're acting in a, in a stable and a um, in a way which protects the business first and foremost. So all of those decisions have to be gone through in, in one's mind uh, when when you're changing um, technology for a big business. So there's there's that. Um, and then the second part is the stability of pricing. So um, it's very hard. And we've seen, you know, we've seen some really good projects running on private forks of Ethereum because you know you, you're not sort of beset by the um, um, the, the winds of, of gas fees and, um, and volatility of, of pricing, but uh, because the technology will work over three or four nodes with a big picket fence around the around the edge, but that's not really what it's there for. You know, public chains are um, inherently more secure when you know when managed properly. So, so that was the first part of your question. Second part, really, I think, was was about um, you know. These permissioned nodes. Well, yes, they are permissioned. They're permissioned right now, but um, within the next very short period of time, um, non-governing council members, you know, trusted third parties, will be able to start standing up these nodes. So you, we won't be restricted to thirty-nine. It might be hundreds. And because we've got this controlled distribution of tokens, and we, we haven't distributed all the tokens all on day one because that would be crazy to do as well. So there's a 15-year schedule to to release the tokens over time, release them out of treasury, um, grant them to to projects in in the same way as other other projects do, and to just have that sort of natural um, uh, distribution of of HBARs into the the global community. As that happens over time, then the, um, the network itself will become more and more decentralized. And it will be protected. It will be protected um, both from a 
you know, the, the attacks that I mentioned earlier, but also from um, you know, the, the scaling um, of the network too quickly and uh, will grow at a pace which is commensurate with the you know, value that's being built on top of it. I think it will. And, you know, I... I... I do want to hear a little bit about some of the smaller scale projects that are that are exploring HBAR. Are there any in Australia in particular that, you know, you mentioned FPOS, which is really interesting mm-hmm. because, you know, micropayments is a thing that everyone always talks about. Oh, crypto adoption, micropayments. You know, those, you hear those words a lot. Um, so, you know, it's obvious that you guys are exploring that, but are there other areas as well in Australia or other projects that you know of or, or that you're involved in? Well, let, let me just touch on micropayments first because it means many things to different people. I, I, mean, I come from the payments industry, you know, twenty-year veteran, and you talk to you know, financial services, and anything under fifty cents is a, is a micropayment because it costs fifty cents or, or a dollar or you know, many dollars to actually for the unit cost of of each payment within the you know the old school. Um, wires that uh, that have been with us for, for you know, decades now it seems so but but in my mind a microtransaction is 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 tiny i mean it's less than a cent it's it's you know one tenth of a cent one fiftieth of a cent it, it's it's got to be so small that no network that we currently exist could possibly um you know, transfer value over it but when you get down to that level, it's like nanotechnology, I guess. You know, things things start you know appearing in very different ways, and, and businesses that you can build with that, that sort of um, capability become um, become possible. So we've just tested it on you know that simple use case about you know uh, breaking down paywalls and subscription services and paper paper um, article that you um, consume online or paper second for streamed content. But I actually think that there's a far greater use case around devices and IoT. I think that if, you know, I know you're a swimmer and I'm a runner, so maybe, you know, we, we gamify this so that my, my Fitbit or my, my Garmin watch pays yours um, a cent for every, every meter I run more than uh, you swim or something. I don't know. I mean, there's, there's uh, you're lots, on. <laughs> there's lots of really interesting things that you can do. I love the idea about incentivizing networks of IoT devices through gateways, which is necessary. Um, so incentivizing the gateways to be um, to be set up and run by you know, mums and dads or, or um, schools or whatever to create that um, that. Um, those networks around them, and and you can do that at, at a tiny scale as well. You can um, sensors paying for services becomes really really interesting. So that's just one thing that I'm, I'm particularly interested in. But I mean, other small businesses um, that that um, are happening here in Australia. So Entrust, Entrust is a a supply chain company focused on the agricultural sector. So they're um, they're particularly interested in uh, wine production uh, in, and dairy production and um, where processes, uh, food production processes need to be compliant with regulation or compliant with other rules. Um, that's a really good use case for, um, for writing, you know, data integrity use case or provenance use case writing to a chain, but at high scale. So if, you're, if it's only costing 100% for a transaction, 
and your your wine production process needs to to write you know thousands of those um, to prove to to the regulator to Wine Australia that you're complying with the label integrity program, which says whatever you put on your uh, wine bottles label, you have to prove for seven years um, that um, the fruit that's been picked and the process that's been done to create to get that wine into the bottle is um, is compliant. So that's that's a I think a really good use case. Um, Miko Miko are an Australian based business who um, have a digital identity wallet, and they've um, they've recently made the switch to Hedera for self sovereign wallet based identity credentialing. Um, we're, we're actually working with them with FPOS now, Connect ID business. Um, they're going great guns, and you know they've they've been around a long while. They've, they're OGs in the um, blockchain and um, and digital identity space, and um, they've seen a lot of technology come and go. But they um, they have moved to Hedera because of you know all of the things that I've been talking about. Um, then there are businesses that are looking at loyalty and customer engagement. There's a company called eBucks, which is creating a, a customer engagement platform. Um, there's um, NFTs and art auctions um, that I am aware of that are um, going to be based on Hedera here in, in Australia. Uh, real estate, um, fractional ownership, um, because because the the, um, the network is so secure and you know the um, the costs are so um, uh, predictable. Um, it becomes a very much more approachable business case that um, that you can kind of, you can create. And and actually, the APIs are very easy to use. So anyone that um, has um, expertise in programming in Go or in Node or in Ruby or you know any of the, the preferred um, Java, of course, um, any of the preferred coding languages um, that. That developers use these days can actually build on top of it very easily rather than having to go away and you know, learn solidity and uh, bend over backwards to um, um, to retrain so um, that's another really good um, innovation that um, that they've enabled you can write solidity smart contracts and run it on the EVM on the network but it's um, you know as slow as as it would be running it you know, on, on Ethereum. <laughs> well, it, it seems like there's lots of incentives for um, businesses who have, you know, cost constraints to, to, to explore, you know, this technology. But one of the things that I thought was really interesting that you were talking about was this, this idea of a nano payment, you know, not a micro payment, but a nano payment. And, and it, it, it is the case, you know, for, for a long time, we've known that information is valuable and, um, you know, the, the huge, enormous business models, um, uh, you know, those businesses that shall not be named uh, make a lot of money out of information. But it seems that with platforms like Adera and the and the incredibly low cost associated with um, the, the, the system, information is value. You know, you're, you're transmitting value. Uh, you know, they're, 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 they're one and the same. So, I, I mean, on that note, I think, Now's probably a good time to, to wrap up the chat and I've really appreciated you, you coming on. I think it's it's definitely cause for us to get you back in, in, in a little while at some point, perhaps to talk more, in more detail about um, digital identity and the stuff that you're doing because that's another area I'm super interested in. And, uh, and, and I just have to thank you for, for coming on the show, Rob. My absolute pleasure. Um, yeah, identity is, is one of my passions too. So um, let's, um, let's do that another time. All right, thanks so much.
Make sure you subscribe and review us on your favorite podcast platform of choice, and we will make sure we take you right to the edge of the crypto frontier. And remember, you can learn more about all things crypto by visiting kraken.com slash learn. And until next time, I've been Jonathan Miller, and this has been The Crypto Frontier. Thank you.